Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 147 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And on today's episode, we'd like to talk about a comment made on the Thriving Urology Practice Facebook group. That's the group that uh, is uh, admined or governed by Dr. John Lynn, who started the group. And uh, anybody's welcome to join it. If you're on Facebook, you can search the Thriving Urology Practice and request to join the group. It's uh, available to all uh, urologists and their practice, talking about all urology stuff. We highly recommend getting on there and a lot of great stuff going on there. All right. So on the the Facebook group, there was a comment from uh, Jonathan Starkman. And uh, Jonathan was asking or commenting on uh, E&M services provided that, uh, you know, maybe two E&M's services and then E&M services in a skilled nursing facility patient and the various locations. And I'm going to have Mark recap the question and summarize it uh, and I'm not going to read you the whole comment, but if you if you're on there, you can go read it yourself. But we wanted to talk about this, and uh, Dr. Starkman asked us uh, asked Mark to to make a comment on it and say kind of give our opinion. So we wanted to go through this and and do it a little more detail. And the second thing we wanted to cover is uh, uh, actually the two E and M claims on the same day for the same patient. So I wanted to go a little bit more in detail on that. So those are the two things we wanted to cover today. Um, let's dive right in. Mark, do okay. you want to uh, kind of recap what the question is and the scenario and what your thoughts are? Okay. All right. And that's good because these are, these are two separate questions um, that are, are only pseudo related, um, but Nonetheless, I can see why they were asked in the same string. Um, so um, I'm going to start with kind of the first one that he that he mentioned and didn't really go into detail on, and that's two E&M codes on the same day um, by the same physician. And 
Um, it, I, I think actually he wasn't thinking about that as part of an issue, but um, that may be, a, it, it does provide a good opportunity to talk about this because there's a couple of different things that are happening with this scenario. So um, if you were uh, following CPT guidelines, um, CPT basically states that if you provided two distinct E&M services on the same date, um, that you could, uh, if they are not, uh, if one is not a continuation of the other, that you could report two separate E&M codes with modifier 25. Um, now there is one scenario that I think a lot of people see. Um, in different specialties. We don't see it as much in neurology, um, but in primary care um, and in some cases, OBGYN and, and, uh, and some of your GI cases where uh, you're actually meeting with the patient for a preventative visit. So uh, you do a preventative visit for the patient and then you discover at that point in time that the patient has a problem um, and then you pivot over to dealing with that problem as part of an E&M visit, you can, you can charge and private payers will pay for the preventive visit and the E&M visit with a modifier 25. And oddly, some of our private payers require modifier 25s on both of those codes, which are technically both E&M codes. Um, so there's at least a couple of circumstances where that's covered. Um, there And because of that, if you were to have a patient where, let's say you saw the patient in the morning, um, you were doing a, seeing the patient for maybe routine follow-up of BPH, and then later in the afternoon, you ended up seeing the patient again because of flank pain, um, coincidental um, that they had that problem occur later on the same date. Um, and technically, an E&M established patient for the morning visit and an E&M for the afternoon visit with modifier 25s, again, probably on both, would be something that you might be able to try. And with two diagnosis codes, um, those may slide through the editor because that is how those are built um, within the uh, private sector world to allow for two E&Ms on the same day. So, but if it were the same problem, um, you'd have an entirely different issue. The, the most likely scenario there is that your claims would be denied. Um, the question is which one or both. Uh, and then you'd have to try and appeal to indicate that these were two entirely different visits. Yes, they were the same problem, but it wasn't a continuation of the visit. So um, you could and, and so you would try that with the 25 on both and and uh, with the same diagnosis, likely get a denial, then go back and try and appeal. Now the AMA, um, as its approach, um, has recommended a workaround. And that workaround is the one that we need to apply to Medicare, unfortunately, because Medicare has a hard edit for not allowing two E&Ms by the same group, same specialty on the same date of service. Um, so in that circumstance, uh, the best workaround that we have is to basically use time for both visits 
and add the time spent in both visits. And remember, it's time spent in dedicating E&M at time on that date. Uh, that's really Medicare's, extent, um, uh, we'll just say, small uh, consolation uh, based on the CPT rules. So essentially what they're saying is because there is this option that all dedicated E&M time provided on the same date can be rolled into the time spent with the patient, um, then that would be the appropriate way to bill Medicare and probably the easiest workaround to deal with two E&M visits for the same problem on the same date for a private sector payer. Um, but you can try that modifier 25, and I would absolutely try modifier 25 if you have two different problems and two different diagnosis codes. So hopefully that helps a little bit in that two E&Ms on the same date. Um, now, the second issue that uh, Jonathan Starkman brought up um, is a little bit different in that essentially you have a patient that is uh, status admitted to a skilled nursing facility. Now, for years, we've uh, tried to communicate to you that when that patient is in a skilled nursing facility or they're in a uh, nursing home where they are under a prospective payment plan, um, that the way that Medicare looks at those situations is they pay an all-inclusive payment um, in, in the form of a DRG or a prospective payment uh, to the facility for all of the, we'll just have to say, the, the practice expense issues. So all the technical things, um, because a hospital doesn't bill for every procedure when they're inpatient, they bill a DRG. Um, and same for the skilled nursing facility. They don't get a payment based on procedures. They get a prospective payment over time based on the patient's uh, issues overall. Um, so what Medicare has set up to be able to track these is a, a, pro, a situation where the patient, even if they leave the skilled nursing facility and go to your office, they technically are never discharged. And so the services provided on that date are supposed to use the place of service for that particular patient. So in this case, skilled nursing facility. And that would be pro appropriate even if they were seen in your office. And it's it's really called like, a, I think it's called a designated service. Um, and uh, so what you would bill in the office for an E&M visit would be a skilled nursing facility visit. Um, ah, Scott reminded me, it's under arrangement. That's correct. I knew yeah. there was designation or something, but under arrangement. So, um, so you would use the place of service um, for the skilled nursing facility for any service that you provided in your office. And you would use the skilled nursing facility codes, um, either initial, um, if it's, and that's the 993.04, and 06, which score out just like your um, initial inpatient hospital visits. Um, and then 
Um, and remember that the initial inpatient visit is uh, appropriate to be used if it is the first time that you or your partners of the same specialty or your APPs working for you have seen the patient during that uh, nursing stay. And and note that one of the things they they count from a CPT perspective is if a patient was in a skilled nursing facility and then they transferred to nursing care, um, that would still be considered the same visit. So that makes the subsequent nursing visits, the 99307, right, 08, 09. I forgot, we don't use those very, yeah, the 07, 08, and 09, and the 10 um, as visits for those uh, anytime you're seeing that patient during that stay a second time or your partners or your APPs. So, um, you would use that place of service for the skilled nursing facility, and you would use the appropriate E&M codes that match that particular place of service. So your skilled nursing facility or nursing facility, those are the same code set. Um, if they were inpatient and transferred, technically they would be, you would use your inpatient codes, your 99221, 22, and 23, and 3132 and 33 for the subsequents. Um, and then if you were to provide, a, let's say, a CISTO on that patient in the office, you once again um, need to use the place of service for, that, for which the patient is designated, so the skilled nursing facility, which means, of course, that you're going to get paid the facility rate, um, and you're also paid the facility rate um, for all of your skilled nursing facilities by default. There is no non-facility rate for those. Uh, so in, in those instances, you are allowed and should be um, billing the skilled nursing facility, the nursing facility, or the hospital for any of your uh, supplies or any of the other uh, services. So essentially the the differential between the facility rate and the non-facility rate would be billed not to Medicare, but to the facility that is housing the patient because they've already gotten that payment. Um, So um, that's always been a a sticking point, I think, for a lot of folks trying to make sure that they get their uh, services covered. And in particular, one of the things that we've struggled with in urology over the years are things like drugs, which again, are not to be billed to Medicare when the patient is a nursing visit, a nursing patient or a skilled nursing patient. Um, but um, so those are things that would be billed to the facility because they've already been paid for that. Um, so you need to make sure you've got in those circumstances an arrangement with the facility to be able to submit um, your uh, charges appropriately to them, and they should be reimbursing you out of what they've been paid already to provide those services. Hopefully, How that makes a little that? sense. I mean, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. How common is that? Like, are they pretty adept at paying an under arrangement uh, claim that that uh, urologists may make to a skilled nursing facility? Oh. They should be. 
but they're not. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of practices that really struggle with this. Um, the, of course, the, those groups are trying to hold on to their money and they're not set up to, to sub out those services. But ultimately, you know, if, if they want their patients cared for and they're transferring them to your site to get them cared for, um, that revenue um, that's due you is due from them. Um, now, if they're trying to hold the line, and I've definitely heard some hospitals and some skilled nursing facilities um, state that essentially we've got the facilities here. You need to get into our facility to do that. We're doing this as a courtesy to you and your schedule. So we're not going to pay you any extra. Um, I get that argument, um, but ultimately the question is how well you can negotiate and and how uh, you know, what your relationship is with that facility. Now, the nursing facility issue is a little different. You know, when they're in, in longer-term care, um, you know, those facilities really do need to pay you for those drugs and because a lot of them do not have the capabilities to deal with uh, those particular drugs, injections, those types of things. And so um, you, you want to make sure that if there is somebody you're dealing with commonly that you you get that agreement and that arrangement in ahead of time. Uh, so it does cost them a little more to transport patients, um, which of course they don't want to do. So their ideal scenario from their money flow is to force you to come to them. Um, so you've got to use your leverage as a, as a provider and then their relationship to the patients overall. Uh, to set those arrangements up. Um, and I will tell you that oftentimes, even though you've got a, a legal footing to stand on, uh, you know, going through that hassle of pushing all the way to the end zone to get the money that's due you uh, isn't always worth the time and money that it requires in extra resources to, 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 to land that. Unless you're going to do it a lot, and then you want to you fight that first one, so it clears the way for the second one. That is true. And you had also mentioned uh, in there that there are certain services that you do bill Medicare for in this situation, like the Cisto. In your example, how do you know which ones you can you should bill Medi- Medicare for, and that are outside what has already been paid to the facility for that care? Okay, so professional, good question. Professional services are not included in a, a grouped payment. Only supplies and technical pieces are included in that. So, you know, if you were to do an ultrasound, the 26 or the professional component is billable to Medicare. The TC and the global are not under those circumstances because they're payment under the DRG includes the technical components of any testing that's there. Drugs are bundled. Injections are not. So it's all, it, I mean, it divides along that line where the professional service is paid for by Medicare. It's paid at the facility rate, just as if you did it in the hospital, but everything else, you know, drugs, all the equipment, everything, technicians, those are covered under the the grouped payment, um, just like it would be in the hospital. So you're going to get the facility rate for any professional service you bill, 
and anything that's not a professional service needs to get billed to the facility. Got it. Ray, what are your thoughts on this? This is painful subject. When I was had my urology practice, we were in a regional area where for a while we were the only group. And the biggest problem we'd have is one of our uh, cancer patients would need a uh, LHRH shot and they were not equipped to do it. But to get paid for the drug and to get paid for your services were were difficult. So Mark gave you good advice. I hope you're listening. Set up the arrangement with any group that you are willing to see patients from their facility in your office. Okay. Well, uh, I I hope that answers the question and clarifies that or weighs in and gives uh, some additional information on uh, those two subjects. So if not, make another comment or reach out to us and if you'd like even more discussion on it, but hopefully that cleared that up. All right. With that, let's end the episode here. Um, let's get some final thoughts. Mark? Yeah, I, I, I guess I would add, you know, in the in the overall scheme of things, you know, we are, we do have a shortage of urologist um, and everybody is tight um, on their money. So we've got rising costs and flat reimbursements. And we saw that in the, what we hope is the, the budget debt ceiling agreement um, in some ways um, that there is a cap on spending for discretionary funds. So whatever is in place is in place uh, at this point in time relative to reimbursements probably going forward or you're going to have to mess with the agreement they signed. So um, it's, it's, it's not a, an environment that is really built to accommodate um, the inflation that we're all seeing. So um, the, everybody's going to negotiate hard to hold on to their dollars. Um, but I do remind you that you are a, a need in this marketplace. Um, you do have some leverage and it is a tough, uh, process to basically say no. Um, but that may be what you need to say to some of these groups that are not willing to play ball and are not playing ball correctly so that you can meet your financial goals and needs as well. So go in with the knowledge that you are, you do have the leverage here uh, and negotiate your contracts and negotiate them fairly, but, uh, but strongly. Right. And from the other side of the fence, they are obligated to take care of their patients. So, if your patient's not being taken care of by them, by them not being willing to play ball, then that's something that uh, the patient should squawk about. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll we'll wrap this up here. Once again, we want to thank ModMed for uh, sponsoring this episode. Please go to modmed.com forward slash PRS network to check out their special offers for our podcast listeners. That's all we got today. 
Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery.